Thank you, Jim, for your ministry and music. Before we begin looking at our text tonight, I'd like you to think with me about responses that we have to different situations. The first, imagine you hear great news. Someone's having a baby, someone's planning on getting married, or someone's recovered well out of surgery. Your response to these things would be immediate joy. Imagine you learn a new fact that absolutely shocks you or intrigues you. This could be a sports statistic, or it could be a new Bible fact that you learned through your Bible study, or it could be a science discovery uh, that was recently discovered. Your response to this fact is that you would want to immediately tell someone. In a last situation, actually this happened to me just this past week at Teen Week, I experienced the boys at Teen Week hearing that we had rupier floats inside. Their response was to immediately run inside, but to their dismay they learned that it was ladies first. So too, we have a situation we are told about in the Bible that we need to have a response to as Christians. So if you could turn with me, our text for tonight will be 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And if you do not uh, have a copy of script, the scriptures with you, you can find some located under the pews. Again, that's 1 Peter chapter 3. So 1 Peter chapter 3, specifically verses 14 through 17 say, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So the theme I'd like to point out right away for you tonight is that as Christians, we must expect to suffer for righteousness' sake, or for the sake of righteousness. And this can be found in verse 14, the first verse of our text, which says again, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So what does this suffering for righteousness' sake look like? First off, for the sake of righteousness means right living. The right living comes from our salvation and faith in Jesus Christ. So ultimately, this righteousness or this suffering for righteousness is suffering for the gospel. Second off, what does this specific suffering for righteousness' sake or the gospel look like? This could come in the form of someone challenging your beliefs. They may say, what, why do you believe that? How could you believe such a thing? What a stupid thing to believe, or it's complete nonsense to believe that. It also could come in the form of an unbeliever being jealous or not agreeing with what you're doing and for the reasons you are doing it. Or, also, or lastly, this suffering could be mocking or falsely accusing us as Christians. So now that we know as Christians we are to expect to suffer for the gospel, what next? What are we to do? Our text today answers this question. So the question we'll be answering the rest of uh, the time tonight is, what is the right response that we are to have towards this suffering for righteousness' sake? So this text points out for us four responses that as Christians we are to have. So firstly, found in verse 14 and 15, We are to respond to suffering for righteousness' sake by not being afraid of those who make us suffer for our faith, but we are to fear God. 
Again, as I said, this comes from verses 14 through 15, which I'll read again. They say, But even if you should suffer for, the, for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. So the first thing these two verses point out is the fear of man. So we are not to fear man, but fear God. So this fear of man is a natural response that we have as humans. Uh, the natural response to people bringing up uh, your faith. You become fearful. What will people think? What will people say about me? What if they attack me with hurtful words? Think about the last time someone asked you about what you believed, what you believed about the Bible, or what you believe specifically as a Christian. Did you feel a little tickle of, a trickle of fear rising up inside you? This is a sense, this is in a sense natural, but we, we must shut it down immediately and not allow it to hinder us. When suffering and hardship come our way due to our faith in Christ, we are not to be afraid. We are not to tremble at the thought of suffering for righteousness' sake. If someone opposes you or challenges you on what you believe, for example, they may be cursing you or being aggressive and argumentative. Their words may sting. They may even beat you or give you a shove. God's word says that we are not to be fearful of them. So why is this? Peter answers this uh, in both verse 14 and also if you guys look ahead at verse 12 through 13, I'm going to read those. This is the first uh, reason we are not to fear man. So verse 12 through 13 say, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So the first uh, reason that we are not to fear due to the fact, is due to the fact that God is watching over us. God is there for those who have faith in him and are living uprightly. God is omnipresent and omniscient. He is everywhere and knows all things. He is watching over us and protecting us. So we must not fear opponents to our faith because God is with us. The second answer, if you look again at verse 14, uh, this gives us the second reason, which is a reward for suffering for righteousness, righteousness' sake. In verse 14 it says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Suffering sure doesn't sound like a blessing to me. You are likely to be emotionally, mentally, and or physically beaten. Is that a blessing? Not exactly, but you will, be, will get a lasting blessing. If you remember the Beatitude, Matthew 5.10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for, the, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the suffering we are endure, or d- that we are to endure is a temporal harm, but our blessing is eternal. This blessing is salvation and living with God eternally in heaven. So there's the two reasons that we're not to fear man, because God is with us and we will be blessed for suffering for righteousness. So the alternative that we have, as I've said before, of fearing man is to fear God. So what does this look like? If you look back at verse 15, it's right in the beginning of the verse. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. This is to mean fearing God. So we have a choice as a Christian when suffering presents itself. Let's say in the form of someone mocking our belief in the resurrection of Jesus. We could fear man and back down from what we believe and say to our opponent, maybe I don't believe that. Or we could fear God, which is, which is what we must do according to the scriptures. So what does fearing God look like? We are to remember and acknowledge our faith in Jesus. This is what this verse means in verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. 
This is an inward acknowledgement. It shows our belief in God. So it's not only in our actions and in our words, but it's in our heart. We truly believe in Christ. And also what this means to honor Christ the Lord as holy is to stand firm and stay committed in Christ as the Lord of your life. Honoring Christ the Lord is holy when suffering comes means that even when you want to be fearful and it would be easy to hide and abandon your faith, you are to stand firm in what you believe in and realize that God is with you. Honoring Christ the Lord is holy when hardship comes means that you still are set apart in your conduct because he is the Lord over your life. So even though that even though you're experiencing these troubles through suffering, we aren't to stray from um, what the Lord has commanded us to do. So we've learned our first response to suffering. We're to fear, not to fear man, but we are to fear God. The second response that we can see in this text, which is again found in verse 15, is we are to respond to suffering for righteousness' sake by defending our faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 15, at least the second part of it says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So we are to give a defense for the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. This defense can consist of several things. First, it could be just our testimony. If someone is um, attacking us or attacking us for our faith, we could tell them our testimony. Why do we believe in Jesus Christ and also how he has worked in our life? Or also, you could give them the reasons that you believe. So, defending your faith with the scriptures and other things that have given evidence for why you should have faith in Jesus Christ. Peter tells us several other things about this defense. If you look in uh, verse 15 again, the first thing we can see, or the first thing I want to point out, is right at the end of verse 15. It says, Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So, our defense is to be given with gentleness and respect. This might be somewhat of a um, a wake-up wake call to you. If someone's attacking your faith, you aren't to attack them back. The scriptures say, again, that we are to respond with gentleness and respect. So what does this gentleness look like? Gentle, gentleness means that we are not to be shoving our faith into these opponents' faces. We are not to be aggressive or harsh. We are not to get into fights about our beliefs with others. This is not how God wants us to share the gospel. We are to be gentle in our words towards them. And then the second part of this is respect. It's different than the gentleness. We're still supposed to be gentle in our respect towards this person, but being uh, respectful towards the person in which we are speaking about the hope that we have with, we're to to first off respect their beliefs. Even if they don't make any sense to us or we don't agree with them, we still need to be respectful toward them. We must be willing to hear out their beliefs We cannot just share ours and lead the discussion, but if they would like to share theirs, we can let them share, or we could even ask them what their beliefs are. Other than being gentle and respectful in our defense, we're also supposed to be prepared. It says it in verse 15 again, I'll read that, it says, always being prepared to make a defense. So we are to be prepared. We must not go into defending our faith being unprepared. So how can we be prepared? First, it involves having your relationship with God intact. Prayer, scripture reading, uh, memorization of scripture, and also service to God can, um, first off, get your relationship to God intact. Make sure it's intact. Second, you need to know what you believe. Studying the scriptures, using commentaries, and hearing different views on the Bible is useful. We need to know what we believe. 
Third, know what they believe. Sounds a bit odd, knowing what they believe, but to relate to an unbeliever, you must not only know your side, but must know theirs, so that you can compare and contrast your beliefs, so that you can relate to them better, so that you know what they're talking about, and also so that you won't offend them. This can be done through research, but also just asking, if you're in a conversation with an unbeliever, defending your own faith, just asking them what they believe is a very helpful uh, way to know what they believe. Lastly, be in prayer. To be prepared, we need to be in, pre- we need to be in prayer, asking God to be with us in defending our faith. So I'd like to present an il- illustration to you. Think of a ship. Before it makes a journey, the sailors need to make sure that they have all the tools and materials that they need to run the ship. Also, the sailors need to make sure the foundation of the ship is intact. It doesn't have any holes in it or it doesn't uh, have any leaks coming out of it. So too, we as Christians, when defending our faith, must be prepared in making sure that we have all the tools and resources in our mind so we can properly share our faith and give proof and evidence for our beliefs. And also, just as the ship's foundation needs to be intact, so too ours needs to. We need to know what we believe so that we can share it. So do not not be like the ship that has a hole in it, and the sailors do not realize it and start to sink right in the beginning of the journey. Again, in verse 15, it says, always be prepared. So this always is very important. Not just for one situation must we be prepared, but we always need to be prepared. I think of the early Christians for this point. We think of Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's questioned multiple times, and he's always able to respond just like that. He even is in front of the Roman government towards the end of his life in prison, and he is able to give a huge account of the gospel just on the spot. Also, you think of Stephen, who was stoned to death. Right before his stoning, he was attacked and he was falsely accused and he was able to give a whole recounting of the Old Testament. He sure was prepared. So the last characteristic of this defense that verse 15 points out is that it's to be given to anyone who asks for it. Anyone means everyone, not only friends, not only family, not only those you know or not only those you like. But this could include strangers or people we dislike. We must be willing to give a defense for our faith to all those that we encounter. So the only reason this defense is needed is because someone saw the hope that is in in us. Let me read verse 15 again. It says, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. This is a very important point. I want to point this out uh, to you all tonight. They can see this hope through the way we live, through our fearlessness of man, through your words and actions, if we are living for Christ and have hope in Christ, this hope will puzzle people and make them question it. If we are not living out the hope that is in us, we're not living for Jesus Christ, we may lose an awesome opportunity to share Christ with an unbeliever. So we've uh, pointed out, or we've seen from the text, two responses that we're to have. We're not to fear man, but we're to fear God, and we're also to defend our faith in response to suffering for righteousness' sake. So let's look at the third. Verse 16, I'll read that again. It says, Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So our third response that we can see is, We are to respond to suffering for righteousness' sake by straying, by not straying from the Lord's commandments. We're not to stray from the Lord's commandments when suffering comes about. So we are to have a clear conscience. This clear conscience means 
that we are not to be guilty. This can only be done by not sinning, but to live for Christ. But if we do sin, we need to make sure we have a right heart about it and repent of the sin that we do commit. So having a clear conscience is the purpose of two things. First off, backing up and supporting our faith. As we said in the previous point, we must be living for Christ to show the hope that is in us. If we are not conducting ourselves with godly conduct, we will not have anything to prove the faith we try and defend, except vain words, and we will be seen as hypocrites. Think of another religion. It could be Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, or any other religion. If they had a commandment in their religion that they were to go to the temple every day, and you heard a follower was not doing it, Say that same follower came to talk to you about his or her religion. And they were explaining the different qualifications of it. And they mentioned this going to the temple every day. You would immediately discredit what they said since they didn't do it. So don't be like that other religion um, in not doing the commandments that they were supposed to do. We do not want to discredit the message of the gospel. Also, another purpose is of putting to shame those who slander us and revile us for our good behavior in Christ. Some will falsely accuse or they may just mock what we are doing. But in verse 16 we see, but they will be put to shame in the end when the Lord comes back to judge us. So that is the third response. And the fourth response is lastly, that we are to respond to suffering for righteousness sake by having a realization that it is sometimes God's will for us to suffer for our faith. So we need to realize that God wills that Christians are to suffer. He has an overarching plan. So knowing this will give us reassurance that we are suffering for a purpose. God warns us all over the scriptures. We see it all over the New Testament in the characters that he presents and also just in the verses that we see that Christians will suffer. So we need to expect this and this realization will help us as we're going through suffering for the gospel. So let's just review the responses that we are to have. So we, are to be, we have been given the responses we as Christians must have to suffering for righteousness sake. We are to respond by fearing God and not man. Respond by defending your faith. Respond by not straying from God's commands. And lastly, we're to respond by realizing God sometimes wills that Christians suffer. These four responses must all be done together. They can't be taken apart or done separately, but they they are to be done together because they complement each other. To gain a full understanding of this text tonight, I'd like to look at a few New Testament passages, specifically uh, the character of the Apostle Peter. So if you could all turn with me to Mark chapter 14. We'll be looking at Mark chapter 14 to see an example of the Apostle Peter. So Mark chapter 14, and in specific, we'll be looking at verses 66 through 72. And before I start reading this, I'd just like to say this is actually a negative example in the Apostle Peter's life. He did not uh, represent this passage that he actually wrote in the New Testament. So we're going to look at that first, and then I'd like to show an example of him being a good example of the things he wrote in 1 Peter. So... Mark chapter 14, and we'll be beginning with verse 66. And it says, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. 
And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. So we have... We have here an example of Peter barely, if at all, suffering for the gospel. We just have a few people calling him out for being a disciple of Jesus. But thinking about our responses, we learn from 1 Peter, we see that clearly and blatantly, we see here Peter's fear of man. We see it three times in his denials. We see it first off, he says, he neither knows nor understands what they mean about Jesus. Peter is trying to separate separate himself completely from Jesus by saying that he neither knows nor understands anything about Jesus. Secondly, Peter denies that he was one of the disciples. This shows he does not want to be seen as having a close relationship with Jesus. And lastly, Peter doesn't even want to be seen as knowing Jesus personally, even if it's, even if it's not a super close relationship. So from this denial of Jesus, we see that Peter did not fear God in this situation, but he rather feared man. He did not remember that God was in control and over all things. So we see that the rest of the responses that we looked at in 1 Peter, uh, because he feared man rather than fearing God, he could not defend his faith because he had already backed away from it. Also, he was not setting himself apart in his conduct due to his sin in rejecting Jesus. And lastly, he did not remember that God wills for a Christian to suffer. And you may be thinking, how did Peter know that already? Where did he hear that Christians are to suffer or Christ followers are to suffer? If you think back to Matthew sixteen twenty four through 25, I'll read that. You don't have to turn to it. But it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So let us not fail like Peter did in responding to suffering for righteousness' sake in a Christian way. So this wasn't only uh, the only time that Peter uh, had the opportunity to suffer as a Christian, but if you think back to the book of Acts, and if you could turn with me to Acts chapter 4, this will be the last passage that we're looking at tonight. Acts chapter 4, and in specifically, we're not going to read it all, but Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. So most likely, only after a few weeks from this denial, Peter exhibited the Christian response for suffering he encountered for the sake of righteousness. So this is a good example of our text uh, that Peter lived out in his own life. So we saw how Peter failed. Now we're going to see how Peter uh, fully um, showed this text in his life. So Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 26, to give you a little bit of context from the... um, The chapter before in chapter 3, the apostles Peter and John have just healed a lame man, and Peter gave a sermon to unbelievers. He declared who Jesus was and that he was by his, he was by his power that he could heal. So if we first off look at verses 2 through 3, I'll read these. It says, 
greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, which is John and Peter, and put them in custody until the next day, for it, is already, it was already evening. So also in verse 9, if you look at that, verse 9 says, if, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? So in these uh, few verses, we first off see that Peter and John are suffering for the sake of righteousness. They have just done a good act to a man by healing him of all things. He, they healed him, um, and they are suffering because they have just been put in jail or in prison and arrested uh, by the, the religious elites. So we first off see that they truly are suffering uh, for the sake of righteousness. Next, if you look at verse 8, we see they are not filled with fear, but are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'll read verse 8 for us. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers, rulers of the people and elders. So we see here that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's about to give his uh, defense of the faith. He is fully and fully filled with the Holy Spirit and not of fear of man. Also, if you just uh, turn and look at verse 19 through 20, we also see that they truly are not uh, feared with fear of man. But in verse 19 through 20, it says, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So we see here clearly that Peter truly is not fearing man. He'd rather uh, be suffering or for the sake of righteousness, uh, rather than f- um, listen to man. They'd rather fear God. So we see this uh, aspect of fearing God rather than man. The next one we'll look at is their defense of the faith. I'll read verses 1 through 6, which say, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was, was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were the high priestly family. So we see that from verses 1 through 6, it shows that Peter was caught off guard in being arrested. But yet we see he must have always been prepared because he was able to give a defense. So we see here that it wasn't like he was, um, in a, he wasn't warned that he was going to be arrested, but it was immediately. So he, obviously we can see that he was always prepared to give a defense. In verses 8 through 12, we actually get this defense, and I'll read that for us. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if you are being examined today, Concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you have crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we see here that truly Peter is defending his faith. He gives a a gospel account of Jesus and what Jesus did and how this healing was connected to Jesus. 
And they even show that salvation is only through Jesus, which obviously these people that are making them suffer did not agree with at all. In chapter 3, and also in verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, shows that Peter had a clear conscience and he was doing good, good right before he suffered. So we can see that um, truly Peter was not straying from the Lord's commands. He was doing the right thing by healing, doing good works for Jesus Christ. And lastly, uh, to apply the passage from verse Peter to this, lastly in verses 29 through 30, which I'll read, uh, shows that Peter realized that um, he had to suffer for, uh, for God's sake. Um, so verse 29 through 30 says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So this was uh, the believer's prayer, which Peter was part, a part of. We can see here that he did not want to stop from doing God's commandments, but he wanted to keep doing them. And he doesn't necessarily say it there, but we can see that he obviously realizes that he's going to have to suffer. So we see both good and bad examples of our, pa- in our, passi- of our passage in Peter's life. Just like him, we must live out these responses in our daily life. So we'll go into application. How do we live out the responses to suffering for righteousness' sake? And children, I like, I'd like to begin with you. So imagine you're at school with your friends, or maybe you are with kids from your neighborhood, or you're just with a group of friends hanging out. You may do something nice for another child that you do not know well, and, someone who know, and it's someone who no one likes, like help them up off the ground if they've fallen. Your friends may ask, why would you do such a thing? And you respond, I did it out of love. And they may even say, why would you love someone that no one likes? And you respond that it's because the Bible commands us to love one another. So your friends can't believe that you are a Christian. They may mock you and say, wow, I can't believe you believe such a thing. So children, you have a choice. You can either fear, fear your friends or you can fear God. What the, you can either fear what they will say or how they will treat you from now on or do you fear God and realize that he will bless you and be with you if you stand up for what you believe. If you fear God, you will defend your faith. Be prepared before this happens by knowing what you believe and be able to explain the gospel. Do not be mean back to them or be aggressive when defending what you believe, but explain further why you helped the kid up and what Jesus did for you. This defending your faith can be tough and hard to do and will take practice. Ask them what they believe, especially if they are picking at your own beliefs. Remember the third response. Keep doing the Lord's commandments. Don't lash out towards them or do not show hate towards them because they, have, they are making fun of you and attacking you. And also, lastly, remember that it is God's will for you to suffer. You may be attacked by other people, but ultimately, God has a plan for you. So similarly to the teens and adults, imagine you're at your workplace, or you're in a college classroom, or you're just with a group of friends. You may be asked by someone what you believe about a controversial issue. You explain your feelings about it, and at the end, you explain that you believe this because the Bible tells us this. Immediately, someone responds, you're a Christian? How can you believe in, God, in a God when there is so much evil in the world? Which is a very tough question. You can either respond with fear and not say anything, or even give just a weak answer. 
or say I don't know and back out of, or say I don't know and back out of the conversation. Or you can fear God. And remember, he is in control and he will give you the words to say. You then can give a defense for your the faith, the faith that you have by gently responding. Even if the person you're conversing with is aggressive, you must stay calm. Even if you do not if you, even if you do not fully know how to defend this, your answer to this controversial issue, you can say, I'll get back to you and I'll research it and figure out why I fully believe this. Make sure your conduct is godly so that they might not find you to be a hypocrite. And lastly, have the response of realizing God's wills, God wills suffering for his followers and that he is sovereign over all things. So as Christians, we will encounter suffering. The Bible tells us this in so many passages. We'll encounter many trials and sufferings for righteousness' sake because of the faith in which we have in Jesus Christ. Many in the world today do not understand Christians and are hostile to them, so we must expect these sufferings. Each situation will be different. Each suffering will be unique, but the responses are the same found here in 1 Peter. Again, Peter gives us the ways to respond to these sufferings so that we might endure them in a godly manner. First, respond by fearing God and not man. Secondly, respond by defending your faith. Thirdly, respond by keeping good godly conduct. And lastly, respond by remembering that God sometimes wills that we are to suffer. So throughout your daily life, be ready with these responses. They come from the scriptures. Be ready to respond to suffering for the gospel. Let us pray together. Dear Lord, I just thank you for tonight and thank you for allowing us to hear your word, Lord. I thank you for the scriptures and for allowing them to be perfect and for giving us um, all the things we need to live as a Christian. And as we think about tonight, especially suffering uh, for the sake of righteousness or for the gospel that we believe in, Lord, I just pray that we would be ready at uh, any given moment to uh, first off fear you and to be able to give a a defense for the faith in which we have, Lord. And I pray that our conduct um, might be uh, to live for you, Lord, so that we might not be seen as a hypocrite. And just throughout our life, Lord, I pray that we would realize that um, sometimes suffering comes our way, and it's what you will, Lord. And I just pray that we would respond to it um, in this manner that we get from First Peter. And I thank you even for uh, the example of uh, Peter and his life, Lord. I just pray that we would really try and apply uh, these concepts, these responses to our life. And in your name I pray, amen. You are dismissed.